Hello, everybody, and welcome to this third session. So we're looking forward to the first of two um, episodes this evening. So if you're following along on Twitter, it, the hashtag is uh, hashtag is MHNR2020. Um, and we've got Russell Ashmore with us tonight, which is fantastic. And Ben will be in conversation with him talking about the history of the conference and maybe a bit about mental health, nursing history, as well, like the culture of us all as well. Um, and then afterwards, we'll have Vanessa joining us and we will go on to a different topic. So let's just, um, for the moment, hand over to Ben and uh, he can introduce his guest. I'll be on social media. Feel free to ask me any questions. And you can also watch us live on Facebook as well on the um, Unite MHTV channel that you normally use. Thank you very much. Super. Thank you ever so much, Nikki. Um, so, yeah, I'm Ben Hannigan. I work at Cardiff University. I'm a mental health nursing academic there. I'm a member of the conference organising committee. And um, until the end of the year, I'm chair of Mental Health Nurse Academics UK. And this is a really special third episode of the International Mental Health Nursing uh, Research Conference. Uh, our guest is indeed Dr. Russell Ashmore. Russell works at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, and Russell, you're also the 2020 Skellen Lecturer, aren't you? So we're going to be welcoming you, or MHTV will be welcoming you again on October the 7th. Um, your talk, your Skellen Lecture, I think, is the fall of Icarus, isn't it? The trials and tribulations of the informal patient in the 21st, the 21st century. century. Yes, so that'll be great. So we'll so you know put that date in your diaries to uh, everybody. Um, now the other the other context in which connoisseurs of the International Mental Health Nursing Research Conference, of whom I am one, the context in which we know you, Russell, uh, is you are the events historian um, and and you have a truly remarkable repository of artifacts and anecdotes and books of abstracts, all of which you're going to draw on tonight um, in this uh, conversation. So huge welcome to you. Um, I'm lucky that it's me who has the chance to be speaking with you. Um, and the date today, so Russell, it's September the 17th today, isn't it? Um, so is there something about September the 17th particularly that uh, maybe is a reasonable place for us to start our discussion. Yeah, I think so, Ben. Um, of course, for anybody who was back at the inaugural conference in 1996, like myself, um, then then they'll, then they'll know that, that that very first event occurred on this date, the 17th of September, back, back in the last century. So, so this is a, a significant event, uh, a significant day, and brings us to our 25th year of the conference. Indeed, so quite an achievement, I think. It is quite an achievement. <laughs> it is. And of course, the conference had a different name then, didn't it? Um, and it was part of a network. And there was a tell us a bit about all of that. How did it all start? What's the history? Well, the, uh, I mean, the um, yes, I mean, you're right. I mean, the conference back, back then until 2016 was known as the Network for Psychiatric Nursing Research Conference. And Although by the end, the conference was all that remained of it. In, in the beginning, it was only actually one part of an attempt at, started really by, by Martin Ward, who was the director of the RCN Institute at, um, in Oxford. And but back then, um, I think Mar Martin in the introduction to the second conference talks about the origins of conferences starting back in 1993. And a recognition, really, that there was lots of work out there, but people were not not being able to draw draw on it. 
and he, he had so he had the idea then. But the other drivers for it was really 1994, which was the the release of the Working in Partnership document, and there was four recommendations within that for research, and the significant one was re recommendation 30, which was which rec uh, which suggested that we ought to develop something similar to MIDAS that the midwives use, which was a a, a summary of research that they disseminated to uh, anybody who needed to to get that information mm. and then back on that uh, also there's there was other drivers i guess because there was the famous carolyn hicks article where she um had sub submitted a publishing journal of advanced nursing where she talked about it wasn't that nurses as a whole and midwives were not necessarily not undertaking research but that they were they were not disseminating it and not publishing it. Mm, yeah. Um, and and based mm. on that, Martin, in fact, it was the 11th of November 1990, 11th of May, sorry, 1994, Martin convened a, a meeting in Oxford with 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 basically who's who was mental health there, Phil Bark, uh, uh, Hugh McKenna, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and talked about the need to form this network to disseminate information and just one aspect of that was to was um to hold an annual conference which yes. was the mpnr yes. i remember joining the mpnr i have to say i remember getting um somewhere i would have had um a membership card of some sort um which you're maybe going to produce your 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 personal one there it is that's what everybody used to get when they joined the, uh, the network. That's right. And I remember, wasn't it? So, so I mean, it kind of really predates uh, electronic media and electronic ways of communicating, doesn't it? But you could be anybody. You could be a student mental health nurse and you've maybe written a Project 2000 dissertation or extended essay. And couldn't you kind of lodge that with the network and it went onto the database and then people could interrogate the database yeah. and that, well, that, that was that was the idea that came out of the network was that any project could be logged and attempt to kind of categorize it and other members could use keywords to see what had been inputted of the network and so it was an opportunity to see what people were doing but also an initial attempt pre-network pre-internet really uh, to establish contacts and to put people, researchers, etc., in yeah. contact with one another to share really yeah. what people were doing around the country. I mean, bear in mind in 1996, um, Outlook and Outlook was not launched until July of that year. <laughs> so it gives some it gives some indication of what we might take for granted now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So everything done by pen and paper and envelopes and uh, indeed yeah. it is indeed you might even have an envelope to show us russell who knows well, I, can, I can show you, you so set up this is the first flyer and it is the original copy of the um yeah oh no have you frozen russell <laughs> what you've actually got and you'll come back i know is um you've got the original flyer haven't you from the first conference which took place on what september the 17th as we were saying 1996 mm. 
and one of the wonderful artifacts that I know Russell has got, um, you're ter terribly awkwardly frozen just as you were reaching for this <laughs> 26 pence, I think, or 29 pence envelope addressed mm. to you, included in which is a an invitation. Um, here he is. <laughs> so your envelope, yeah, yeah. So we, no, you, I was, I'm building up to you showing this miraculous envelope to you. It's 26, 29 p stamp on it which included your uh, some correspondence about your concurrent session isn't it to the first ever conference in that's right um and and i um, i think i've done this too many times down the years is putting in more than one abstract in the belief that only probably one will get accepted um and, and that happened on the first the first conference so i had a, a paper i delivered by myself and um a paper i co presented with a colleague of mine, David Banks, who at that time worked at Teesside University. Yeah. I did estimate the other, well, estimate, I did go through the the other day and realise that if I include tonight, this will be my 56th presentation at the conference <laughs> in various forms. That is a deeply impressive contribution to the life of the conference, I have to say. I realise it was a bit stupid though occasionally because it was one year I think I did five presentations. <laughs> <laughs> I might have regretted that one at the time. Nick, Nikki, have you got some questions that maybe some students perhaps have um, have shared, have, uh, want to ask, want to put to us? I do. I have some 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 online harassment to deal with. Julia Jones and Anne Jackson, thank you very much. Ooh. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> lovely, lovely to hear from you. Um, Really nice, and and Alan Simpson as well. So waves out there. Oh, yeah. Um, these these are these are student questions, so they're brutal. I hope you're ready, Russell. Okay, I'm, I'm used to students. I'm used to them. Ruth, who is Eileen Skellen? Eileen Skellen. Oh, that's the left field. I wasn't expecting that. I'm probably not the best position, but Eileen Skellen was was an, a nurse who now um, did she work at the Moors? There, I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed here. Yeah, um, she, she was a she was a. She, he was a, we need Gary Winship here. Or, we do, or, or we, do. Like we do, yeah. He's a, a significant nurse who, who works at the Maudsley, and hopefully if I'm wrong, somebody will correct me. <laughs> and she was seen as, as many um, kind of contributions to how, um, how, how nursing really, and a wider influence than, than nursing was delivered at, at the Maudsley. Yeah. Mm. I, and, I could recommend that they probably get better information if they go to the Eileen Scallon. We'll, we'll do the link for it, but I think we'll I can understand link. why they asked because you know we have yeah. a lot of names from yeah. the past, yeah. don't we? That yeah. sometimes yeah. they get passed on. So Phil Barker and Hugh McKenna might not be familiar to a lot of our, our yeah. students, and there is something I, about that heritage, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. yeah. I, I, I'm probably on safer footing. I'm, I'm saying in the things I looked at, I, I should now should know that that's a bare person. But we certainly sort of um, film was um, one of the sort of first professors, if not the first professor um, in, in mental health nursing when, when he was employed at, at New, uh, Newcastle University. And, yeah. and Hugh, look up Hugh, because Hugh is still, mm. still around now and, and still one of the yeah. most respected and productive yeah. speakers. He too was at that very first um, MPNR conference yeah. as well. And I'm just going to embarrass Anne Jackson and uh, Julie Jones <laughs> because when I was going to do the presentation, I was going to acknowledge all these people. And I was going to single out Anne and Julia because I think, certainly in the early 2000s, without 
all the work, and I know they didn't do them by themselves, but if it wasn't for Anne and Julia, in my opinion, we wouldn't be here tonight still talking about this com this conference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. It's really important. I think it's, it's a lovely part of kind of mental health nursing culture that we we all kind of can, can actually lift each other up off stuff like that. I think it's really key. So if you are wondering what the Island Skeleton is, um, they're like the mental health Oscars, so only the grandest and most fabulous get to speak at it, such as Dr Ashmore. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, and it has a lot of um, people who you should know about, really. So if you're a student looking in tonight, then absolutely have a look at what other people have accomplished, because it will tell you what you can accomplish as well. And I think that's really important. But uh, the other questions are, they're, they're kind of the same, permutations are the same thing. It's, one is, um, are we losing our mental health culture as, like, as, as education becomes less distinctly mental health? Mm -hmm. And then another person says, why should, we, why should we look backwards? Shouldn't we be looking forwards? Uh, so I'll leave you with those grand ones. <laughs> Well, I'll start on this. I, I, I think we are in the danger of doing that as, uh, as we've moved, moved into the, um, the kind of future nurse, that there's a tendency to, di to actually be diluting down what, what makes mental health nursing um, unique. Um, and I, we could talk about that all, all night, and I, and I probably, probably won't say any more. But in terms of, because this is about history, what, what I would say to people is that we do, why we need to look at history is firstly, we need to understand where we've come from. You know, what, what, what we do now, it, it, it just, it's not just dropped out of the sky, it's got a history. And secondly, if we, if we don't look at what's happened in the past, we're just, in the, we're just gonna potentially make all the same mistakes, mistakes again. And there's a wonderful concept um, called Whiggism that's from, uh, from history. And basically, at its most simplest, simplest level, it's an accusation that people think that um, ev everything now is, is, is better and shinier than well, that's, that's what's gone before. It, it only sees things going for forward. And if you're interested in more, I might mention it a bit more in the, in the scan lecture. So... And it also interprets things from from the pre it's also it's also referred to as presentism that we refer refer and judge things by the values where we find ourselves, uh, and and the downside of it is it assumes that what we've got now is always going to be better than what's gone before. So so I would say we do need to look back, and see about how we got we've got to where we are and reevaluate in terms of, of, of what has gone you know what has gone before because it's easy to throw throw out all the good things and assuming that what we do now is is somehow and is always better yeah you know I, but I, yeah one of my favorite examples is that we when, when war doors were open and became widely open in the 1940s and 1950s, it was seen as a major therapeutic revolution. And anybody who's worked in acute care in recent years realises that we've actually seemingly gone backwards. And I ask students when I, I talk about this, who actually say, don't believe me, that war doors were ever open. They can't see how to work outside of that. And as we know from the work that came out of Len Bowers and the other people at City, that the, that the things it's that locked doors was purportedly there to prevent was not demonstrated necessarily by the evidence that's been produced. 
but here we are where it's very more taking a more carceral approach to care again hence going back to i'd say the 1890s in some of the things we're doing so for me if we don't understand our past how do we understand our present and how do we get a sense of what our future might be and i think with things like conferences and i would add things like journals as well they're part of the infrastructure of a discipline they're they're they are the places where new ideas and debate and dialogue and evidence are brought together, they're interrogated, they're shared, they're subjected to scrutiny. And I, th I think that is an essential part of the, you know, the architecture, a discipline or a profession or a way of working or community. And, and just to add to that, because we are talking about conference history, look, looking back on, 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 on the conference and what appears there, gives us insights into where the profession's been and where it's supposed to be going. I mean, one of the things I, I had a look, to look at, uh, it struck me that, um, that as allegedly we've moved away from inpatient care to community care, then I, I thought, hypothesised that we would see a decrease in, in inpatient research and in, a substantial increase in community care. And yet on those two topics, then inpatient care is significantly more representative than community-based research. Okay. Notwithstanding the kind of shift in how um, healthcare is provided. And it are, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the, that's one of the um the thoughts I had about it. I mean, and there are, for example, particular topics. that are underrepresented within within our conference um i mean one one example i'll just um i'll just mention one because if I, if I didn't mention it, it wouldn't be worth living here at home was to do with the number of older adult papers that have appeared in the conference okay. and i'm not talking about dementia here because dementia is not necessarily confines itself to people of a certain age but if we look at so-called functional papers there's only been 12 papers in the entire history of the conference <laughs> Um, so this is a very underrepresented area and the whole lifetime of the conference. Yeah. It's not well talked about, researched, no. shared, yeah. discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit, because you, 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 you've got the Ashmore archive. I mean, it really does deserve to be called that. Um, it really, <laughs> it, that, that it, it's a sufficiently developed, mature repository of artifacts and things about the conference that it deserves its own name. So it is the Ashmore archive for sure, isn't it? And you, you've done some analysis, haven't you, of types of papers, numbers of papers, who's giving the presentations, those kind of things. Give us a bit of a flavor of some of that when you kind of cast your eye back over the totality of the conference. What are the kind of trends? You know, shaping uh, there are things that, that, that's, that stand out. I mean, first of all, there's been approximately um, 1,950 papers that have been presented during the history of history of the conference, and some some of the some of the standout things, not just the paper, but for, for who's been there, is uh, before we came we came into into the program. I was I was saying that if you looked at things like delegates, um, for right up until about 2005, the highest percentage of delegates were clinicians, and since then there's been a rapid a kind of a decline in that and, and a rapid increase in the the number of academics and you know some of the some of the causes some of the reasons for that 
uh, probably not surprising in terms of time of time off for sort of the money to get there. But a couple, a couple of things that did strike me also was um, self-identifiers, carers and service users. There's been 90 delegates during the entire um, conference. Um, and only something like about one and a half percent of all presentations have involved a service user. One and a half percent? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very small. The first, first service user who spoke was a plenary session in 2001, which was Simon Champ, who was a member of SANE from Australia. I remember that session, actually. And the a version of that talk does appear, you can still... Yeah, still get hold of that. But what I'm struck by by that was Simon talked about researchers harv harvesting and colonising the experiences of service users for their research. Yeah. And whilst there's been service users presented, more service users presented at conference, and I think the um, Sugar Group from City University has, has made the, the biggest contribution to that. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, they've been a very. But not just going through the abstracts. And it, sorry, Ben. No, you, sorry, no. I interrupted. Yeah. Sugar, sugar yeah. has made a really big impact. Yeah, right. in terms of increasing numbers and, and presence, more more so than in, any other group um, at the conference. But what struck me about looking through the abstract, and I had a quick look through. I haven't got the numbers on this one, but my, my sense of looking through in terms of the ones that reported on service users' experience. What we've still got there is more harvesting and colonising experiences rather than collaboration and co-production of those researchers. Very few, there's very few service users who, co who are actually acknowledged on those papers as, as, co as either as co-presenters. Yeah, co it, yeah. it is tell me about how, you know, tell me about what, what whatever experience has, has been occurring. Right, as and opposed I think, to being full collaborators in research endeavours from the beginning of an idea onwards. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and recognised in that, yeah. And, 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 I, and, you know, I do, I do say that with degree of, of caution because my, what I'm speaking about tonight is simply based on what's written in abstracts. So there may be things outside their abstracts that um, involve more collabor collaboration. But where collaboration has occurred, it does appear in the abstracts and, and service user researchers are recognised on those abstracts, mm. whereas in others, there's no acknowledgement. So I thought there's, there's something to think about. Yeah. And, I mean, a couple of other things that, that struck me as well. I was looking through the the plenary sessions down down the years. And so by plenaries, I'm, I'm talking about um, keynotes, professorial panels, or basically any session where a speakers would have been invited to uh, present at the conference. And, and a couple of things, and I say these without judgment, they just they just food for thought really that struck me is first of all 67 percent of all plenary speakers are male and 96 percent of all invited speakers are white now i make no judgment there uh, as you know i've been part of the steering committee and uh, conference committee for a number of years 
but it, it, it may say something about structural issues. And I, and, and I mentioned that because of the awareness we've had this year around those things. So it's food for thought. I've got no answers to it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is food um, for thought. But it, it did strike me as significant. Yeah. yeah, no, it is definitely. And it might, it might be, and I, I'm, I've got, I've got a little eye on the clock here, actually, now we've kind of approached, we're coming up to sort of five to seven, aren't we? And I'm, I'm yeah. wondering if there might be, well, we wouldn't want to, we wouldn't want our conversation to finish without you maybe having a chance, Russell, to say something about how you would like to see the conference develop in the future, which maybe links to what you've just said, actually, around the, the people who are being invited to have a yeah. voice. The people who are getting invitations and so on. I suppose I also want to just check with Nikki to make sure there aren't any other burning questions from people that you might want to throw our way or throw Russell's way. Any any other questions for Russell then? No, lots and lots of comments, and I think you can get to those in a minute. Let's not cut into Russell's time. Okay, right. Yeah. So, Russell, where would so given that you've, you've got this fantastic account of the conference, yeah. and it really is yeah. a very detailed and um, meticulous account of the conference actually where would it where do you think it ought to go in the future i, I, I think in, in a lot of ways the the comp yeah. first of all the conference i think is still been true to those original uh, starting points you know back in 1996 it's connected people um it, it's involved collab collaborations and, and we have disseminated um some research but I am I'm wary of the fact that we still, for whatever reasons, only attract an, a number of around 150 yeah. a year. And I was looking this afternoon, as of March, there's a, just over mental health nurses on the register. So in, in terms of that initial ambition of dissemination, maybe we, we need to think about what we can do more. And again, I was saying that conference abstracts they appear electronically but they disappear after a year so in terms of what's been presented apart from obsessional collectors like me all, all those things that have happened in the conference yeah could be lost in history maybe they should be i personally don't think think that of course i think there's a need to preserve the legacy for for people to come so in some ways of maybe actually creating an archive somewhere because this is is one of the only remaining mental health nursing conferences that stood the test of time when i first started coming to this conference there was at least a three others each year that i would go to the one where that was um known as the cambridge the jill robinson organized cambridge conference that was that, that was um on the line there used to be the rcn european mental health nursing research conference um a bit of a spin-off of, of this well but all those have disappeared so so in terms of conferences as a, as a core this is the the last person standing conference yeah. Yeah. and for the future i think as we've proven this year maybe uh, whether I, I hate the conference not to be happening in person but i think we can feed in technology more Remember, it was 2001, I think, 2002, when Richard Lakeman did the first conference. I think there was technological problems, but nonetheless, since then, um, we've not really embraced it as much until people like Andre became involved with social media. And I think we had a, a live stream conversation at Nottingham in 2016. So maybe 
what we've learned from this year in terms of people attending is a way to ensure that dissemination. And I think that that's something to take forward. And, and one final thing is maintaining the balance between the conference committee driving the conference, and it's always attention, to, but also listening to the, let's call the voices of the people. Yeah, Because I remember one character, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna mention Nigel, Nigel Wellman, because he was a kind of like an Olympian god in the early days, a consultant nurse who would sit up there in the balcony at St. Cat, and everybody would wait for him to ask a cutting question. If people don't know, and, and you might have to look at history, Nigel was more Gurney, more Kevin Gurney than Phil Barker. And I actually thought at times he was more Kevin Gurney than Kevin Gurney in terms of his, his view. And I think I remember one abstract meeting um, we had for one conference where Nigel rejected every abstract but two. And it, it wasn't that they were just RCTs, but they had to be certain types of RCTs. And, and so, so you can see what I mean, that need to balance um, kind of direction yeah. the need to ensure that we have a conference in terms of presenters so but i do think and i would say this has been involved that that the committee do still do an extra extra job and i'm not sure people know that often within two or three weeks of one conference ending the planning starts for the next so well, I think, yeah the plan has yeah, already started the next year I yeah yeah so the com you know lots of things are um are positive and that dissemination I think is important I was just saying earlier whether or not I'll make it to the 50th I mean with, with technology <laughs> who knows I won't, I, won't, I won't give up yet but um, it's probably unlikely but you never know we'll welcome your um, hologrammatic presentation at the conference we'll all be there in 3D visual yeah, yeah I might yeah start now <laughs> yeah start now yes that's right <laughs> I guess we probably, Nikki is nodding her head, I think we probably reached the end of this discussion, am I right? Nikki, is there absolutely, anything? Absolutely, absolutely. And I only think to say, we've had a couple of connection problems. So um, Russell's kindly agreed to um, do a presentation a little bit more fully, and we'll be tweeting that out, and we'll make sure that that's up, up on all the links, and you can see that at a longer time. But I'm really glad we actually had a chance to have like a conversation about this as well, as well as hearing the presentation. So I think there's a lot of... Um, a lot of kind of emotional stuff that sometimes we can forget and it's really important i think to remember that we're a community and, and hang together and so for me that's what i'd like to say hi i'm back to ben thank you very yeah. much just to finish up yeah i could spend many 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 hours in your company russell talking about the conference um and i'm going to say two things before we sign off one is um russell just to say again you're back on mhtv aren't you on october the 7th this is your skeleton lecture this is the fall of Icarus, the trials and tribulations of the informal patient in the 21st century. So congratulations again um, on you being the Skellen Laureate for this year. And we're back, aren't we, MHNR 2020 in half an hour, where our theme is children and mental health. And we'll be welcoming Michael Nash, Beth Cumber and uh, Rachel Bullock. So um, that's it from me. Russell, huge thanks to you. A pleasure. Um it's a pleasure as always to talk about this conference. Yeah, thank you.